Hey folks, just wanted to pop in really quick and say that the audio quality for the first minute and a half or so of this episode, uh, after the theme music plays, is a little bit rough. I had my mics mixed up at the time, uh, so sorry about that. It does improve uh, after the reading on my end. Also, this episode does contain some strong language, and listener discretion is advised. Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniaks. Listeners, I am super excited today. Uh, after, I don't know, we've been discussing having you on the show for like a while at this point, but I'm finally pleased to welcome Amy Ogden. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad it finally we finally made it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this season of all seasons to have two Amy's from the Midwest. It's it's cool to be an Amy and it's cool to be from the Midwest. It's very cool to be <laughs> both of those things. Uh, having never been either of them, I just have to take your word on it. But, uh, you know, you're very cool. Amy Kaczynski is very cool. We're just going to yeah. go with it. All right. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to be, uh, starting off this episode with a reading from Starstruck. Is there anything we need to know about it going in? Um, it is a young adult novel that I'll be reading a excerpt from, um, from, from my trunk from a few years back. Fantastic. All right. Starstruck. Only a single star had fallen on the city of Eltamile in the past 10 years, and that scarcity echoed in the city's empty streets, in the doorways of cracked buildings where nests of litter gathered. Wick stared out the little window in the first and a half story nook where his mattress was tucked. He would probably never sleep here again. He wasn't sure he would sleep anyhow. The street below was dark, the street lamps had gone off one quiet morning months ago and never again turned back on. The occasional straggler hurried past, coat collar turned up against a cool wind that strained through the elderly fittings of Wick's window and stole the warmth from his nose and fingers. Wick, what are you doing up yet? The landing creaked under the weight of his cousin Kalen's feet. The dark of the street matched the dark inside the house. If Wick squinted, all he could see of her was the glint of her eyes in the smear where her face ought to have been. Mm. Tomorrow's a big day for all of us. Get some sleep. She struck the mattress lightly with one hand. Cozy up to the thought you'll never have to sleep on this sad old thing again. <laughs> the nook was too small and the mattress too big, so that it curled up on either side into a sort of nest. Kalen routinely bemoaned that it was no sort of bedroom for a boy half-grown, but Wick had always liked it. Hmm. You're not in bed yet, he pointed out instead, and Ismini is still downstairs too. 
Kaylin and her wife would undoubtedly stay awake most of the night, packing and repacking the equipment from Kaylin's bakery downstairs. Wick had retreated up to bed early after supper, so he didn't have to watch Kaylin pretend she wasn't crying. Mm. Kaylin huffed. If he were within reach, he would have gotten a flick of her apron. You're 14 years old. I am a woman grown, and if I have to be a sleepless wretch on the train tomorrow, that is my own business. <laughs> Sounds like it'll end up being my business, too, he grumbled, soft enough that she could feign not to hear. <laughs> he laid down anyway, cranking his neck so that he could still see out the window. A starstruck woman hurried past below. A cardinal, her beak just peeking up above her jacket collar and the red-gray of her tail flashing beneath its hem. Not the face he wanted to see. Not a human face, not his mother's face or his father's. He pulled the blankets up over his shoulders and bunched up their corner to buffer his head against the lumpy pillow. Kaylin hadn't moved yet. You'll be happy down east, in the Midland Lows. It'll be a real life for us there, all of us. Not all of us. This time he made sure to speak up. This time he made sure she didn't miss a word. Kaylin flinched, a hiss of air between her teeth. You know we can't follow them, Wick, and they are not coming back. Ismini had sent in their application for admission to live in the protector's great city of Harrion, the one that had swallowed his parents up eight years before. The hmm. paperwork had come back with the signature of protector Ardalyn Paribert herself beneath the red stamp of denied. Harrion had plenty of bakers and builders and glowering boys. No more today. Thank you. Hmm. Well, so what if they couldn't just go up to the front gates of the city and knock to be let in? There must be other ways. She would have found a way in, he said, against his makeshift pillow. There was no sharp intake of breath then, not another word from his cousin, only her footsteps retreating back down the stairs life she'd said a real life the words gnawed him keeping him awake there was only one real life and that was the one where his whole family was together again he sang himself to sleep an old old song that always made him feel a bit better it put him in mind of his mother although he couldn't remember her ever singing it to him and kaylin swore she'd never heard it except from wick's own mouth either his arms went round himself, and as he drifted off to sleep, he sang the only lines, the only snippet of melody he'd ever been able to remember. Hmm. The mountain is my pillow. The green earth is my cloak. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a bit. Um, some sure. more of the good stuff. Um, Wick <laughs> runs away from his cousin and her wife during uh, an eruption of chaotic magic near the train station, uh, finds some shelter in an abandoned toy shop, and for the time being, subsists on scraps and uh, a small relief package airdropped in by the protectors from Harrion until Fantastic. he runs into some trouble he can't handle on his own. We love to see it. An hour or so later, Wick was ready to curl up for bed, but his stomach had developed a serious ache. After scraping by for a few days on scraps, being gifted with food had made him forget everything Kalen had ever told him about table manners, and everything Ismini had ever said about common sense. <laughs> All the chocolates were gone, 
as well as two tins of beans and one of fish. And now it was as if his stomach no longer knew what to do with food. He crawled into the pile of blankets and teddy bears and lay flat on his back with his hands on his overstuffed belly. Mm. His head proved to be equally overstuffed <laughs> with undigested thoughts instead of candy. How could he get to Harrion? Was it close enough to walk? How many days would that take? Weeks? Months? There were no more trains bound out of Elton Mile, but perhaps there was another station to the south somewhere. He could head east toward the Midland Lows. He knew there was a station there, after all. But Kalen and Ismini could nab him for certain then. Hmm. Were there still carriages or cars in the city that he could take? And if there were, would they make it all the way down slope in one piece, let alone all the way to the city? Could he scavenge enough food here for the trip? Or would he need to scout some out along the way? His eyelids drooped under the weight of possibilities. The door of the toy shop shifted in its frame. Wick sat up, bellyache forgotten. From behind the counter, he peered out at the door of the shop, but all he could see was the darkness that draped itself over the city at this hour of the night. It had hardly been a sound at all. Maybe he'd dreamed it. Hmm. He started to retreat, and then his ears caught a scrape on the sidewalk. Someone was out there. You'll have to force the door, said a reedy voice outside, if you're up for it. Wick's mouth went dry. Starstruck wolves and bears and all sorts of creatures had lived in Elta Mile before times changed, side by side with humans, not to mention the variety of starstruck who were strict plant eaters or who were simply plants. <laughs> but that had been before the life of the city began to peel away like the skin on an old onion. He had heard stories of hungry predators turning back to the ways they'd known before a starfall had changed their path. There were still laws, of course, but not anyone to do something about it when you broke one. Hmm. And now, perhaps, a pair of predators had his scent? Wick shoved the last two food tins into his coat pockets and began to crawl toward the back door. Then he stopped, his heart twisting sideways. He'd almost forgotten his backpack. It was half empty, but the straps felt good when he settled them back around his shoulders. Hmm. If you've got the wrong place, the raspy voice went on, you'll startle him off, and then where will we be? <laughs> I haven't got the wrong place, said someone else, someone raspier and rougher sounding. Followed him here myself, and the fact the door is locked at all should tell you something. Look at <laughs> the state of this place been rifled a hundred times and now it's closed up snug another scratch claws on pavement wick banged his shin on the step up into the back workshop and bit his tongue to keep from yelping only a little farther to the back door and he could what run down slope to take refuge in kaylin's empty bakery <laughs> try farther uphill and hope they didn't spot him as long as this isn't just another of your glazed dreams, said the first voice, and something slammed into the door. Wick scrambled up and took off. No point trying to sneak now. He mm. crashed through the workshop out into the back alley just as the front door gave way. He didn't stop to look over his shoulder. A howl slashed through the night behind him. Coyotes, then. 
He put his head down and tore through the thick darkness of the alley across toward Midtown. His eyes drank down the dark until at last they adjusted to the pale gloom cast by the faraway stars. He didn't hear footfalls behind him, but that didn't mean much. Over his gasping breath and the roaring in his ears, he couldn't hear much of anything at all. He risked a glance behind, afraid to see a fanged slice of shadow bearing down on him, but nothing was there. The alley mouth loomed ahead of him, and he half-sobbed, half-gasped his gratitude. He barreled around the corner into the commons, where a few of the streetlights still worked. A coyote waited for him there, flanked by a mountain lion and a hunting hawk. Now, now, said the coyote. He stood very still, hands up. His clothes were fine and unmended, a silk vest over white dress shirt. Both were unmarked by brown stains. There were plenty of changes of clothes up city these days, no matter what you got up to at night. <laughs> Wick stared at him. His chest heaved despite his best effort to look unafraid. <laughs> Overhead, a working street lamp sputtered a gray-white circle down onto the pavement. Light clung to the coyote's rusty brown fur and pooled in his yellow eyes. Behind him loomed the dark, hollow shapes of the old enchantment factory, where the artificers had once worked. No need for a fuss, young sir. Being someone's dinner seems like a good reason to fuss. <laughs> his mouth was dry, but Wick forced the words out even when they tried to stick to his tongue. He realized the other two predators had begun to circle around to either side. I I've got food in my pockets. I can take my jacket off and you can have it. <laughs> the coyote chuckled. I've done my time eating beans and carrots. At my age, it's sweet marrow or starve. He lunged. Wick threw himself to the side, but the cracked sidewalk caught his toes and sent him tumbling. The coyote cut through the empty air where he'd been a moment before. Wick scrabbled backwards, scraping his palms. The coyote struck again. This time, Wick had nowhere to run. He lashed out with one foot and struck home on the coyote's chest. His legs strained, trying to push the starstruck back. It was only the taste of the coyote's foul breath filling his mouth that gave him the strength to throw him off and roll to his feet. Don't worry, young sir, said the coyote, getting up more slowly, more carefully, a slurred sort of precision that Wick had only before seen on the rare occasions when Ismini was very, very drunk. <laughs> a line of saliva matted the fur beside the coyote's mouth. Wick wiped his oozing palms on his trousers as if that would smear away the scent of blood. Hmm. It'll be over fast. No, please! Wick's throat spasmed, trying to work loose something more convincing than groveling. <laughs> I have something I need to do! So do I, said the coyote survive mm. and something hit him from behind the coyote flew across the paving stones straight past the hawk who cawed her alarm he rolled over but did not rise from his hands and knees right away wick stared at him his legs refusing to move for shock and another predator's face loomed large in his vision he gasped and brought his hands up but the face in front of him did not belong to a bird or a mountain lion, but rather a red fox on a velocipede. <sighs> well, she said, you best get up on the handlebars then. 
Wick did not ask questions. He scrambled to a perch between the bars. The mountain lion lunged too late. The velocipede arced broadly around and sailed across the commons down 10th Street. One last howl sounded in the distance and a hawk's angry shriek. Wick barely heard them over the wind rifling his hair over the satisfied whoop of the fox in his ear. <laughs> the fox rode the velocipede far down the hill until the predators had long since been left behind. Then she looped cross town and rode back uphill on 7th. When the slope grew steeper near Midtown, she ordered Wick down from the handlebars. You're heavy and I'm tired, she said. <laughs> you can walk for now. I can walk home from here. He hid his cringe at that word, home. Then he remembered his manners. Uh, thanks for helping me. That was, um, I wouldn't have, <laughs> his mouth scrunched into a frown. Thanks. Hmm, she said. She put her rear paws on the ground and leaned on her handlebars. She was dressed neatly, brown breeches that ended at her knee and a practical white button-up shirt. In one ear, she had three silver earrings, each one a hoop of a different size. Hmm. Wick stared at those until she brought his attention back around with a question. You have people at home? He thought he knew the correct answer to that. <laughs> oh, yes, of course I do. Uh, my cousin and her wife, they'll be worried. Hmm. Lie and truth churned gracelessly together in his mouth, and he said quickly to chase away the taste, uh, thank you, but I don't need any more help. <sighs> her tail lashed behind her under the weight of a laden pack. Wick wondered how she managed to keep it from getting caught in the spokes of the bicycle. Hmm. Hmm. You can spend the night with Prish and I. We have got plenty to eat, and our garden has a nine-foot fence, so not much chance of a midnight visit from that coyote. Come <laughs> along. She pushed off with one foot and called over her shoulder as she pedaled hard uphill. You don't honestly expect me to believe that these cousins of yours let you run around the city after dark? Another few pushes of the pedals, and then she said, You need a haircut. And <laughs> a real bed to sleep in, I imagine. She rode up the hill slowly, with Wick tagging along beside. Must have been hard to turn the velocipede's wheels up the steep slope, Wick thought. He could have kept up even if she pedaled at full speed. Her name was Elsing, she told him, and she had been a tailor in the old days. Mm. Or I should say I'm still a tailor, she said. Just mm. an idle one for the most part. Might as well say I'm not a fox if I don't have someone else's chicken in my mouth at the moment. He told her the story of Kaylin and Ismene's departure from the city, or at least a version of that story that might pass muster. <laughs> he wasn't entirely sure that long-pointed nose of hers wouldn't sniff out the lie when he said he hadn't been able to find his cousin in the chaos after that eruption. Hmm. Oh, but surely they'll still be in the city looking for you, Elsing asked. No, all that matters to them is their little lowlands farm. They're probably glad I'm gone. He was certainly hmm. glad they were. They had tried to take him away from his city and his parents and all the answers he needed. If I saw them again, I, I bet they'd pretend they didn't, never even met me before in their life. <laughs> he decided to change the subject or at least redirect it. Have you got kids or um, kids? <laughs> ah, she said, and her ears pressed back against her head. Yes, and no. Uh, the stars picked me, you see, but... Not them, and not their father, either. Her ears flicked, then pricked up straight again. 
Bostwick thought she was going to say something else, but she didn't. And indeed, she didn't say much at all after that, not until she finally jumped off the bicycle. Wick thought she must have finally decided to push the thing uphill, but instead she went to the nearest gate and took a long iron key from her pocket. She limped a little as she walked, a lopsided drag of one foot. Come in, she said. Prish will want to meet you. And he followed her into the garden and stood staring while she set the velocipede against the porch and locked the gate back up behind them. The house that they had stopped at was no Taylor's house. Its Mm. sides had space to breathe with garden all around, and it stood a full three stories high. Taylor's didn't live up city, not like this. (laughs) But Elsing waited on the porch, yellow eyes glinting. Well, she said, and he came up the steps. The front entry could have held Kalen's entire bakery. Wick craned his neck to gape at the chandelier. Artificer made, he could tell, with a sparkle of enchantment lighting each dangling crystal from within. His mother could have made such a thing. Hmm. He tore his gaze from the chandelier and looked around. There was a great spiral staircase up into the second story, carpeted in plush maroon and gold and real painted portraits on the rear wall. Portraits of human faces, no foxes to be seen. He looked sidelong at Elsing, but she was already halfway down the hall. Prish, where are you? I'm home and I've brought a guest. (laughs) Elsing? Heavy footsteps sounded on the staircase and a head appeared over the railing. Not a human head and not a fox's either. She had to be a radish. Thick yellow-green skin with dark pink indentations in the shape of two eyes and a mouth. A tangle of leaves spilled down from the top of her head and over the collar of her coveralls. Do you realize how late it is? I've been worried sick, and if you disappeared now of all times... She paused, and her eyes pinched narrow. Who the devil is this? (laughs) His name is Wick. He doesn't have any family left here, and he will be staying with us for the time being. (laughs) Elsing dusted her hands on her pants. Her ears flicked when she looked back up at Prish, which made her earrings jingle. (laughs) He'd got himself caught out by a gang of predators over in the shopping district. Probably some of Black Ear Pete's crowd. Prish leaned on the railing with both arms. Wick caught himself staring at her hands, which were made of thick green vines. He hadn't seen many starstruck plants up close. They tended to be reclusive sorts. Hmm. He jerked his eyes up to her face and found her pink mouth twisted into a smile. One predator corners you, and your first choice is to jump in with another? Oh, for star's sake, dear, how many times do I have to say I am a scavenger and not a proper predator at all? (laughs) Elsing tutted. She dropped her pack on the floor and shooed Wick toward the staircase. Come on, come along in, and don't you dare argue, Prish. He is not going back on the street with Pete and all of those on the prowl. And that is the end of what I pulled. Oh, that is delightful. I, I still... I still really love that story. Yeah. I I love it too, having only heard 20 minutes of it. <laughs> and in in no small part because the fox and the radish are lesbians, Harold. <laughs> yes, I I do love Prish most of all. I was like, I have to read until I get to my lesbian radish. Uh-huh. And her bisexual fox girlfriend and their adopted human boy that they've picked up off the street. Nope, you're ours now. Deal yep. with it. 
Sometimes a family is a lesbian radish, a bisexual fox, and an orphan boy. And a crabby, a crabby boy, and also there's uh, a rock who is part of the family too. But you, oh, good for them! Like, I love that. Yeah, she, she's yeah, she's um, she's trouble, but I love her a lot too. <laughs> oh. I was gonna say I was gonna say good trouble, but she's not. She's just trouble, <laughs> just plain trouble. She's chaos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we know those sorts. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm reading a lot of. I don't know. There there's a lot of uh, queer found family for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm right now as we are recording this, still in the middle of reading uh, Martha Wells' Network Effect, which I'm I'm. Uh, quite far behind on the murder bot books at this point but uh you know talk about talk about found family sometimes a sometimes a family is uh polycule their survey team and the sec unit that they liberated kind of had already been liberated itself but you know whose liberation they uh put all the legal yeah. behind yeah oh and an asshole research transport spaceship yeah. oh art was my favorite from those novellas i think i love art so much um and i love this queer starstruck family immediately <laughs> uh can can you talk a little bit about kind of how this book came about and then how it ended up being a thing that was in the trunk and and uh then being read on this show uh yeah so i i um i I did write this i think the first draft i finished in 2016 Mm -hmm. um, because i took it to worldcon where um i did the writing workshop and in fact martha wells was the pro writer uh, attached to that group and she was lovely um gregory wilson also um uh two very kind writers, um, both super helpful, lovely people about it. Um, I love this for you. Yeah, yeah it was it was uh, a great experience. And even if um, the book never went anywhere, uh, it still was uh, very helpful to participate in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, where the idea came from, and this, I'm glad we got to Prish um, because this it sounds super weird, even as I'm saying it in my head. Um, but I was at that point in my life lightly obsessed with a particular vegetable from the farmer's market in Madison, <laughs> Wisconsin, uh, called uh, a beauty heart radish, um, or less charmingly, in my opinion, um, a watermelon radish. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it, uh, it's a daikon varietal, and it does have that pale green outside layer and just the most gorgeous purple-pink interior. Ooh. Um, and then I also read at some point around that juncture about um in certain regions where pumpkins were not historically available uh, jack-o'-lanterns mm. might be carved out of winter root vegetables like turnips and i mm-hmm. thought wouldn't it be lovely to make a beauty heart jack-o'-lantern a beauty heart lantern um and uh that was that was that was prish um and she was the first being i sort of envisioned before working outward into this fantasy world where alongside humans there are also various creatures and plants that have um, found themselves randomly ensouled mm-hmm. and transformed into into something new. Um, 
I think I had the characters and then the ending and then um, everything in between uh, sort of mapped itself out from there. Nice. Um, yeah. And as for why it's in the trunk, I had somewhere between 80 and 90 rejections from agents on it. Um, YA, well, yeah. um, uh, YA is a, a tough nut to crack, I think. Um, yeah. And the book is strange. And it is, it, looking back at it, um, wow, seven years later now, it is flawed. And I think it is, um, in that YA space, a difficult thing it doesn't have a romance in it um mm -hmm. it, 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 i think it's a difficult thing to market to young people if you are not already um say catherine valenti which i am not uh -huh. um and I, I i would love to revisit it still in some other form in the future but i can definitely see um from from here that it is flawed and needs some restructuring in in the middle um mm -hmm. Maybe it's a novella. Maybe it's maybe it's still a book. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I kind of like when you said novella. I was just like, yeah, novellas for kids should should exist. And then I was like, that's chapbooks. That's that's like <laughs> you know the stuff I was reading when I was you know nine, ten, eleven. Like in in terms of length, anyway. Like they were you yeah. know big kid novels to me, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, yeah, those early chapter books and that and that uh, age range. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, kids for kids for books. Books for kids um, <laughs> are definitely uh, larger um, than they were when I was a kid. And I I remember um, Maura mm -hmm. Pierce talking about how they wouldn't let her write longer books for that audience um, in the eighties and nineties. And now. My kids are really into the Wings of Fire books, um, which are about dragons um, and are cute and fun. And they're they're big. They're mm -hmm. chonky little book lads. Um, yeah. And that's great. Yeah. I, w I was just thinking, like, the... I mean, I was reading, like, full-length novels, or at least having those, like, full-length novels read to me, even mm. if they were, like, kids' books when I was a kid in the 90s but that was like basically redwall was the only thing in that space for me mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah and then like eventually when i was like 12 or something my dad tried to get me into terry pratchett by giving me uh diggers which didn't work out for him the way he wanted it <laughs> it, it didn't quite land for me when i was 12 but then like 6 months later I uh, I heard him reading aloud a section of one of the adult Discworld novels, and I was like, no, that's what I want. Give me those mm. things. Yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, Guards, Guards was on my reading list in 10th mm -hmm. or 11th grade that I was like, oh, yes. Yeah. More of this, please. Yeah, I, I think I even mentioned this on the podcast fairly recently, uh, but the the scene what got me into into terry pratchett was the scene in hogfather where uh nobby is supposed to go arrest death at the mall and <laughs> instead gets sat down on his lap and gets given a crossbow and like honestly what what else are are you gonna get 
uh, 12-year-old into fantasy novels with, except for a, a horrid little creature of a cop getting given a crossbow by one anthropomorphic personification playing another one. I, I think the first character, I, I think the first one I read was weirdly um, The Last Continent. Oh, um, uh-huh. I don't know how I got started in the middle of a series, but I was like, this librarian is an orangutan, and I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I stayed for Lady Sybil, um, who is my favorite. Lady uh, Sybil is objectively one of the best characters in the whole series. She's so good. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. And then, of course, in, in like, the the late... I mean, obviously, Tiffany aching the best. And, uh, you know, Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax as well. But uh, I, I have a, a special place in my heart for Moist Von Lipwig. Because he's terrible and mercenary and also just very good. Yes, he's, he's great. And I like seeing... Um the opposite side of the the guards in Moist's books. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is what Vimes looks like to people who aren't Vimes. Yeah. <laughs> kind of kind yeah. of the point where uh, Pratchett decided, like, oh, actually, ACAB. <laughs> yep. Oh. Books are good. Books are good. Books are the best. It's it's awesome that we can just like write books, and then they exist. And I get to share at least a little a little chunk of this one with with you all. Um. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's my favorite it, part of this show. Like, you know, it does exist now outside of my own head and several agents' <laughs> yeah. email uh, trash folders. Yeah. Makes it a little more uh, real. You know, only like 90 agents or so. Only like 90. <sighs> oh, that like... So, you know, I some of our listeners may only be in the short story game, which mm. is its own kind of like crushing machine. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I, I speak as somebody who has written a couple of novels-ish uh, and only ever submitted uh, only ever submitted novels to uh, like open calls. I've never mm. done the agent game yet. Uh, you know, at some point maybe, probably when I can get my head screwed on a little bit better, but uh, and, and finish a novel that isn't uh, objectively extremely flawed uh but they're all flawed uh, they're all flawed the first time out then you get to play with them and make them less flawed and that's the fun part that is the fun part uh the 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 one quote-unquote finished novel i have right now that i could send out is 12 years old and i do not want people reading there are things that i wrote over a decade ago that I still stand by. This is mm-hmm. not one of them. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering if you could, uh, as somebody who both does the short story game, uh, 
for instance, with your your wonderful response to cold calculations. Oh, thank you. Uh, and also is in the long-form game. I'm wondering if you can uh, talk a little bit about how the how that difference is for you in terms of, like, you know, when you're submitting a short story, generally there's no sim subs. When it's a novel, you're sending out, you know, five, ten queries at a time, depending. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, part of this is just how long I've been submitting short fiction, and, and I, I have a big catalog of stories at any given time, and I think mm -hmm. it's a lot... There's still There are still rejections that I'm like, well... Guess I'll guess I'll die then. Uh huh. Um, yeah. But like for the most part, it just kind of is like, oh yeah, well, send it out to the next place, and I can I can keep just keep churning that. I find I find the novel querying process a hundred times more emotionally exhausting than mm -hmm. short fiction. I think I think the difference is um, the time commitment for short fiction. Right. Um, like I. I might spend a few weeks to a couple months on a short piece um, and mm -hmm. not be working on it the whole time. Whereas a novel represents for me, probably a year of frequent work and that uh, having that bounce back over and over again, is just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't, I can't just, I, I have to send agent queries off in batches um, and be like, gird my loins and just send mm -hmm. off five or six at a go whereas short fiction i see something in my inbox i'm like okay i'm gonna check my submission tree and uh, the place i wanted to send it to next is open let's do it yeah and and roll with those punches a little um a little more gracefully maybe yeah <sighs> yeah i i was just saying, like i've i've done uh not for a while i've i've kind of been out of the submission game in general for a couple of years because uh, mm -hmm. turns out producing a podcast fair amount of work I, something I they don't tell you that. going into <laughs> um that that's a lie macy told me that making serpent cast was a lot of work even though she wasn't the one actually producing the episodes on the back end uh i Granted, don't have podcast homework in the same way that like the Serpent Cast crew did, but uh, but uh, you know I, I've done a couple of years of like aim for a hundred submissions in that year, and like that takes a toll, and it's also like. I'm pretty sure at least one of those hundred submission years, I did actually get a sale, which like, you know, and and granted, pulling from a I think a smaller, at the time a larger uh, a larger queue of stories that I like stand behind, but uh, smaller uh, smaller queue than what you're working with, I. I'm fairly certain I can I can say with authority. Yeah. And like that's still like, you know, that would just be like, oh, check my email in the middle of the day. Oh, rejection rolled in, send it out to the next place. And like as opposed to and you know, with stories that I'd worked on for 
like you were saying, a, a couple of months at most. And even that was like fits and spurts, like, mm-hmm. you know, spend a couple of days doing a first draft, hold on to it until the next writing group and, and then, you know, do a couple rounds of revisions there. Yeah. 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 People who do the novel submission game are made of some stern stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm, working on another novel right now and it's slow going and I think part of it is because I'm like I really am not excited about querying again at the end of this mm-hmm. round <sighs> yep yeah but, but I, I like I like telling stories I like sharing stories with people so I'm gonna do it I'm just mm-hmm. gonna I'm just gonna complain about it yep. while I do <laughs> that's I mean that's the that's the key right there is and like something something we touch on on the show pretty regularly is like community is important and community is especially important for the parts that are so soul-sucking like yes obviously I'm not gonna say you have to have somebody to you know read your stories and offer revision notes I know there are people who just kind of write a story, put it away for a little while, pick it back up, you know, pick it apart, make all the things work, and then send it out and get it sold, and, like, all the more power to them. Couldn't be me. But, like, that's doable, but even they need to be able to complain when you know, the rejections just keep rolling in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they do come in, like, like all, all all the acceptances for me would, like, I get, like, a couple at a time and then nothing for, like, five or six months. So, mm-hmm. Well, that well, that was the end of my career. I guess I'm done now. Yeah. Um, uh, and then that again. And then at some point, I think I kind of figured out, like, oh, maybe, maybe it's not the end. Maybe <laughs> I need to take a couple deep breaths and get over it and just come back in a couple weeks ready to submit again. It's okay. okay. Yeah. 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 But that like the, the perspective there that takes a while to get to of like, actually no, these do things do come in waves and mm-hmm. you know, the, the only place where your career is over is when you decide, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. Which is a valid, like, at some point, like, I think, I think, um, as writers, it's, we, we always say to each other, like, you can do it, just keep, keep submitting, keep, and at, at some point, um, it's okay to feel the bad feelings and say, if this is impeding my ability to feel joy and interest and curiosity in the process mm-hmm. of, like, take the break, babe, I can walk away and, like, yeah, just do writing for the sake of writing and not have not worry about where it's going to go and just just um, not not try to um, push it. Yeah, I I compare this a little bit to music, and I don't like the concept of a one hit wonder in music mm. either because, like, you know, the especially like the the landscape of like what is popular music is so manufactured and, like, so capricious. Uh, but, like, the the idea of, like, there are authors who just wrote one book or just wrote three books, like, you know, 
authors who have just one series and then walked away from the game for any number of reasons and they still did amazing work and like you know what no matter how much recognition those books may have gotten like they mm -hmm. did the damn thing you know and publishing is a grind like i'm not there are days when i'm like hmm is this is this for me in the long term and i think it is but um like it's mm -hmm. a continuous process of reevaluating like is this is this taking more from me than I am able to give or want to give um, or can replenish? Um, yeah. And yeah. 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 My, my, most of my sales in the last four or five years have been the sort of situation where, where I was directly or indirectly invited to submit something where it's like you know here is this call solicited that's the word i was looking for i know how these things work <laughs> uh where like i i i think it's okay to talk about this uh like sarah gailey's uh personal canons cookbook oh, series yeah. that's uh coming out like they, we were talking and uh, I was like, I have this idea for an essay for that. And they were like, yeah, please send that to me. And like, that's coming out in, uh, in early April oh, of exciting. this year. And like, that's, I think the last thing I had in print before this was uh, the story that I had out in the Skies of Wonder, Skies of Danger anthology uh, that came out from... Uh, oh, the Bible Paradise. Uh, yeah, from from the Isle of Wright yeah. folks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, that was uh, edited by John Appel and uh, Mary Agner, and I, I can't see where I have my, my copy on the shelves, so I can't say who... Oh, and Joe Miles. Of course, oh, yeah. Joe Miles. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Joe. I don't know if you're listening, but I really appreciate your work on that anthology. Um, and obviously, John, who was my editor there, um, who, like, when I... Uh, and that came out in, what, 2017, 2018? Like, it's it's been a while. It, it was certainly before the San Jose Worldcon, because we had, like... Uh, badge ribbons for Skies of Wonder for Worldcon, which was, like, a very cool experience to be like, I'm in the exclusive badge ribbon club. That is fun. I love I love a badge ribbon. I love a badge ribbon so much. I love, I love the culture around badge ribbons and kids in tow, because you'll see the kids going around with, like, five feet of badge ribbons. <laughs> <laughs> on they will do anything to get a badge ribbon love that for them mm -hmm. but like uh that the story that i had in in skies of wonder is not the first one i submitted i submitted something and uh john sent back like i really like this i it would need some edits anyway but 
it turns out that it's the only one that is not getting all three of airships, pirates, and wizards. Uh, mm. Would you be interested in in uh, either heavily editing this to get the third element in? I was missing airships in the first, and like you know, everybody else was like primary world or secondary world like you know steampunk-ish adventure airship stuff and mine was like gritty like you know cyberpunk noir uh present day uh and i was like no 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 i'll i'll do something else and like turned around a, a brand new story in you know a couple of weeks for that yeah. where it's like you know that which is all to say, just like, you know, I think that's a perfectly valid way of, like, going, navigating the, like, writing field. Mm -hmm. And, like, the, these are all, it, it's always, it always comes back to, like, there's no one right way. Like, everybody yeah. has a different path. I don't think I have ever been solicited for a story. And I have... A lot, I have a lot of publications. It's like you that's, have I've so just many always, publications, Amy. I have just um I I've just worked through the slush um a million times. So I'm not going to stop because um because I love stories. Yeah, <laughs> it's worked out. Yeah, yeah. It's like it is uh it like there. I think people often think that if you sell enough stories or books, then there's a point where you've made it. And I don't think with short fiction, with novels, with anything, I don't think that there is that point and yeah. you will always have to work your way up from some level into an editor's heart uh, over yeah. and over again. And that is just, um, and, and we do it. Yeah. One of the most inspiring things a writer ever said to me, I took a, um, many years ago now, I took a uh, short story intensive from Mary Robinette Kowal and mm. she said, Oh, yeah, I still, uh, this was, gosh, 20, beginning of 2015, I want to say. And she said, yeah, I still haven't cracked FNSF or Clark's World. Like, I'm trying to do that. And yeah. I was like, Hugo winning, like, multiply Hugo nominated author Mary Robinette freaking Kowal has not crap, mm. cracked FNSF or Clark's World. Like, anybody can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is, yeah. The pros still get rejected. It is a, it is a grind. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, taking it back to Martha Wells, like, you know. Yeah. That was, that was a long journey to get to be, like, Hugo winning murder bot author Martha Wells like what a comeback you love yeah. to see it yes we love to see or or Anne Leckie same thing mm -hmm. like you know I she was like 43 or something when when ancillary justice came out yes I don't yeah I don't know but yeah yeah that doesn't matter time is <laughs> fake <laughs> yeah it's all to fake. say like mm -hmm. you know if if this is what you want to be doing do it like yeah. And yeah, I, um, I, I, it, it, um, it feels hopeless sometimes, but I, I always feel like if you, if you 
generic you, audience you, uh, still have faith in a story. Like, don't give up on submitting mm -hmm. it, even if it's racking up the rejections. It only takes one editor to say yes. And um, I, that was the reason it was a little bit hard for me to find something to read for the podcast. Kind of what you were saying earlier about like, oh, I, I like some of the stuff I wrote back then, but uh, yeah, the stuff I, I wouldn't want people to see. Um, like all the short stories in my trunk were ones that I had sent out for a while, sometimes just once, um, mm -hmm. taken a look at and after they'd been rejected, um, a couple before I'd even sent them out, I think, and thought, um, this is not doing what I wanted it to do. Yeah. Um, but if I if I still have faith in a story, then it will go out the door um, a million times till hell won't have it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The the um, I just wanted to to jump on that bit of like sometimes even before you sent it out, saying like, oh, this isn't do it. Like that is a huge. That was a huge milestone for me to get to that point where I could be like, finish a story and realize it wasn't doing it mm -hmm. and not send it out. It's hard to give up that work, but it's also a, it's also a learning experience to say, okay, well, what what went right with this? Why did I think it was a story and what went wrong? What is, what is how is it not doing, how mm -hmm. is it not achieving the, the thing that I want it to? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like some sometimes that's realizing it's not your story to tell. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. really realizing like I just don't have you know the whatever to be able to to make the story pull it off like I want it to right now. And I can revisit the concept in you know a yeah, year, five the, years, ten years. The revised folder, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you still like the idea? Put it, just sit on it. I've I've I have a large folder full of like. Uh, is this an idea? Um, no. Yep. And at some point, you know, at some point, uh, they'll happen or they won't. And or they won't. It's nice and... to it's nice to have that list to be when I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Well, what yeah. About this thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, I just I just heard this weird noise and this blue police box showed up in the room, the podcast room, uh, and I'm wondering if at this point we could take a step inside this time machine. Here it is. Uh, and uh, go back if there are any things that, any words of wisdom that you wish you could uh, offer to past writer Amy Ogden and by extension to any of our dear listeners. Hmm. I, wow. I submitted my first stories when I was in college and I'm dating myself by saying this around 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I took a long break after that. Um, what did Fair. what did college age Amy need to know? Um, uh, I think the first thing college age Amy needed to know was that um, a pun, that, a title that has a pun in it, is not a great <laughs> basis for a whole story. Um, what are you uh, talking about? <laughs> um, it can, it can be, but it, maybe not as often as she thought. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think uh, I think she needed to know that um, everyone like everyone knows to celebrate um, a sale or a nomination or things like that. Um, but that um, celebrating submission milestones or rejection milestones um, mm -hmm. makes it a lot easier to kind of get that uh, inured feeling to those those rejections rolling in. Um, oh, yeah, because because they will. And and um 
I think I wish she hadn't taken such a long break. Um, she got a few rejections and was like, well, this is crap. And so am I. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I'll be done. Uh, I think she probably would have liked to know that my her most rejected story was rejected about 20 times and then sold to analog. <laughs> we'll love um, to see it. But, it's you you don't know um don't do not it, it's such a cliche but don't self-reject you you don't know what an editor hasn't seen before and is mm -hmm. it's going to be the thing that makes them say yeah oh wow okay that was cool I, I yeah. wasn't or the that. the thing that the editor is looking for to fill that slot in an issue mm -hmm. you know well they don't usually publish flash but they don't the guidelines say they'll take it maybe they need uh 900 words to fill out an issue who knows try yeah. it it's the worst thing as i'm also an editor at translator travelers lounge and um when i say we'd like to see more stories from you that's not a lie mm -hmm. <laughs> don't don't stop sending us stuff we we like your stories we can only put a certain number in every issue we always have more great stories than we can than we can fit um yeah just keep keep trying don't, yeah. Don't, if you if you don't want to stop, don't stop. The the one time I was making direct editorial decisions when uh, me and Annalie Flowerhorn uh, got a chance to take over part of Friends Journal, notably not a fiction magazine, uh, a, a a magazine of Quaker essays for the most part, but we uh, we bullied the editor finally over Twitter uh, into letting us run an issue of uh, Quaker speculative fiction. And like, we got, you know, obviously we got a lot of things that were direct hard nose in the first sentence, because that is what editing is. And we also got more things than that we loved than we could publish. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is, has always been the case for us uh, yeah. over at TTL. And it's, you know, it's it's a little bit different running a magazine uh, that publishes multiple issues versus editing mm -hmm. a special insert where, yeah. you know, we... You can't say, we, oh, send it to me next time. Send yeah. it to you next time. No, no, there isn't. Like, there I do I do want to, like, do wish that I could have said, like, the next time I'm editing a thing, like, please send me something. But, like, I don't know when the next time I'm going to yeah. edit a thing is. Cause it's a vague I'm, timeline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I would I would solicit you for a podcast episode at some point. But, like, I'm... My, my like, cue, I almost have 2023 already filled out. Yeah, wow. And, you know, which is also a wild thing to to say looking out we are uh this is this is the final episode of season four of tales from the trunk next month we'll be starting season five which is bizarre and unreal <laughs> and like when i started season one i was only looking like three four months out like i didn't you know, I didn't have a full season filled out when I started the season because I didn't even know what I, like, if this was a thing that was going to hang on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, congratulations on four years, four seasons. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 
been a really great and also extremely wild thing that I've been doing. We need more great and wild things in our lives. So we absolutely do. Um, speaking of, of great and wild things, I'm wondering if there are any, uh, books, stories, anything else that, uh, you have either out recently or upcam upcoming or out not so recently that you'd just be so hyped for our listeners to know about. Um, well, my, my, my big one, I have, um, my third novella is coming out this summer. It is called Emergent Properties. And it is a sci-fi ad- adventure fun, um, story about a AI, um, an AI journalist who is trying to get behind some corporate government um, malfeasance and mystery. Uh, nice. And also, also their moms um, are really overbearing. Um, <laughs> and so that was fun uh, to write um, that this book is for everyone with a fraught parental relationship or two. Um, mm mm-hmm. And will be out on July 23rd of this July year. July 23rd, yeah. So that is coming out. And um, it is available for pre-order now, wherever pre-orders are pre-ordering. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wherever um, fine books are pre-orderable. Um, what else? What else? I have, um, I think the thing I've had out recently that I'm the fondest of is I have a flash fiction in Strange Horizons, which is one that I have wanted to crack Ooh. since college. Um when Jed Hartman sent the nicest rejections to those little pun pun title stories. Um, And uh, it is a a flash fiction called um, A Love Letter Written at the Heat Death of the Universe. And I am very fond of that one and very fond of the magazine, the publication in which it is appearing. And uh, last but not least, we have a new issue of Translator Traveler's Lounge, um, which um, I think by the time this goes live, we'll have recently gone up on february 15th yeah so this will go live uh just a couple days later i I believe perfect perfect timing so head on over there everybody and and check it out we've got um 14 delicious new stories for everyone to enjoy and uh i will just say that transliver tltl is one of my favorite new magazines in recent years oh thank you so much yeah uh like it's we we see so many good markets close up shop for one reason or another over the last few years. Like, you know, we thankfully the Deadlands is here, but like Shimmer mm. closed, oh, Fireside closed, like yeah. big, big losses. But we also got like Translunar Traveler's Lounge. We got Augur. Like there's some some heavy hitters in there. Hey, I'm, I'm proud to be listed among those. That is a, and it's it's been. I can't believe this is going to be our eighth issue. It's been so much fun to read everyone's oh, Congratulations! Story. Thank you. Uh, and to work like working with Bennett is awesome. They are a great friend and a great co-editor and really good. Mm-hmm. Also, at uh, speaking of getting critiques from people, at uh, kicking my stories butts uh, in all the ways that they needed to be kicked <laughs> all the time. So, yeah. Fabulous. Uh, I will. I will also make a mention of Local Star, which is 
just a rollicking good time. Uh, I've I've loved that book since the cover reveal. Oh, honestly, uh, it like the the cover told me a lot of good things about the book, uh, both by just having just like some really delightful art, and also it said Amy Ogden on the cover. <laughs> I have been, I have to say, I've been extremely lucky in terms of covers for all my novellas, and I'm, I feel so lucky. Hell yeah. Thank Uh, you, Interstellar Flight Press, for that great cover, and the folks at Tor.com for making my books look pretty. Please judge these books by their cover. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, So... Before before we wrap things up, have there been any uh, any pieces of media, be they uh, books, movies, podcasts, video games, tabletop role playing games, you name it, uh, anything that you've been really digging uh, that you want our audience to know about? I, yes, I um, I loved um, in. I think last month's Uncanny, maybe it was December, uh, Flower, Daughter, Soil, Seed by Evgenia Triantopoulou. Um, just a gorgeous story, as is her want. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Jennifer Hudak uh, had Sturgeon Moon Jam in um, Fantasy Magazine recently. Um, and the other thing that I really enjoyed um, and I read with my kids is uh, Stephanie Burgess's Young Adult book um the dragon with the chocolate heart which oh is yeah so sweet and charming and i really enjoyed it i'm also the last person on the planet perhaps to see uh everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which we managed to sneak in while my kids were at a sleepover because um we live in a one-bedroom apartment right now and they sit yep. in the office and there's no door so we can't watch things at night unless they're gone and so we watched it um with french subtitles which was exciting because I nice. read French. My spouse <laughs> does not. So it was me gradually translating when I could think of it fast enough. And it, it really added um, to the inherent chaos of the movie. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think that really just um, embellished that effect and just made it even nice. more. Yeah. That's actually kind of the way I first watched My Neighbor Totoro was, uh, I mean, not with with French subtitles. It was just the Japanese audio, no mm. subtitles, with uh, a bunch of other college students crammed into a tiny dorm room, and one student who uh, spoke Japanese roughly, and uh, you know would would translate for us as quickly as she could, but also like that movie is just a vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. It becomes a movie and an experience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think the the acting in in that in that movie was also good enough that when I was just like, oh, uh, 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 it, still, mm-hmm. it still got across most yeah. of what it needed to do. It's effective. Yes. It is. It is effective and mm-hmm. uh, super super deserved the recent accolades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All yes. All of them, all of the things, all the awards, and put them in all of the movies and shows. Yeah. More, more, please. Yes. Uh, finally, 
Finally, finally. For real. <laughs> uh, Amy, where can our listeners find you elsewhere? Um, I am mostly social media-wise on Mastodon these days, and I'm at Amy Ogden at wandering.shop over there. And um, I have a website, amyogdenwrites.wordpress.com, and you can find out my newsletter there, and I'm going to send the first one of those any day now. But for real, any day now, yes. I believe in you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Amy, it has been such a delight to have you on the show. Uh, What what a way to round out our fourth season. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Listeners, stick around next month for the start of season five of Tales from the Trunk, when my guests will be Malka Older and Susan Palumbo. Which, like, what a get on both both fronts. Yeah, those are that's uh, those are two episodes that uh, I will have to I will have to tune in for those. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for Malka's new book, and uh, I reached out to Susan. Uh, she was like, "Yeah, absolutely, will come on." Yeah, because Susan also has a collection dropping later this year that you should everyone should also get out there and pre-order that. Yes. Go, go. Yeah, uh, we, we, will, we will certainly talk more about that mm. uh, in a month. And it is February, so it is exactly four weeks from... This isn't a... No, this is 2023. It's not a leap year. <laughs> Who knows? Time is fake. Exactly <laughs> four weeks away. Tune in for Susan's episode. Find out all the deets. Uh, I don't know, I haven't recorded it yet, so I can't say any uh, any specific nice things about it, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be a blast. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can still find the show on Twitter at TrunkCast, and also on Tumblr at TrunkCast. And I tweet at HBBisniex, and I'm on Mastodon at HBBisniex at Wandering.shop. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>